We are continuing on in Acts chapter 3. We were looking at that miracle that happened in the first 10 verses. Picking up at verse 11, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at us? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. This man who was born crippled now walks. He occasionally leaps with joy, praising God as he does. What a morning, what a day that must have been for him because that morning he was carried to the temple and laid at the outer gate. That evening he would walk home. Those who saw it, they knew who it was. They saw him day after day. They saw him year after year there at the gate of the temple. And when we left off last week, they were filled, as it said in the end of verse 10, with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The amazing thing is apparently there was something with his feet and lower part of his legs but it was like that from birth and we remind that, that then you can't think of the tendons and the ligaments and the muscular uh, part of the legs that just hadn't developed. And yet, in the twinkling of an eye, all that is made well to the point that he can rise and he can leap. That is very miraculous. And so the next thing we see is in verse 11, the lame man who was healed, notice now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John as all the people ran together to them. The lame man who was healed is now holding on to Peter and John. What had happened? Did he lose strength? Was this now this... This great miracle, was it diminished in some way or form? I would think not. He had not become unsteady. But it would seem at first that he was so filled with gratitude and and thankfulness and affection that he was holding on to them affectionately. But there could be something else too. Remember his vantage point in life been mostly from lying down or maybe occasionally sitting up, but he's never stood. Think of that. He's never stood up. 
And as he's standing now, here's a horde of people running towards him. It's very possible that out of fear, he's holding on to Peter and John because he doesn't know what's going on. He's never seen anything happen like that from that viewpoint. The people ran together toward him. They ran. Someone once said, if you think you have no friends, win a lottery. Lottery winners, we are told, are instantly popular. And there's a woman in Florida who had won her lottery down there several times. And so all of a sudden, now she's a celebrity. And she has people coming all the time, coming to interview her, to ask her questions. People wanting to know, what, what's your secret? And you get the feeling like they want to come by and they want to be part of this, that maybe some of this would rub off on them. It's like someone who turns 110 years old and on their 110th birthday, the question is always, what's your secret? What's the secret to long life? Here, we have a situation where a man who at once time was a bother has now become a celebrity. Peter and John had come to the temple to pray, but also as they would use that opportunity to speak to the, go- speak to the gospel as well. And now it is as if they were running toward him to hear the truth. For he will use their curiosity and their amazement of the moment to give them the truth of what had happened and why. But not only had the former cripple become a celebrity, but also Peter and John as well. Now they were in the spotlight. And Peter and John just a few moments ago were just mere strangers who were coming to the temple at the hour of prayer. So Peter uses this first to give a clarification. He begins with a question. In verse 12, he says, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us? Now the word translated intently here is the same word as in verse 4 where they fastened their eyes, fixed their eyes upon each other. So why do you fasten your eyes upon us? As though by our own power and godliness we made this man to walk. We can't help but feel at this point it started to stir up a bit. Not only was the lame man now walking, But standing right there with him are those miracle workers. The miracle workers who did it. So we see the same thing happening to Peter and John. We could see them as guests on Good Morning America. Our guests this morning are Peter and John. 
Well, you two caused quite a stir at the temple yesterday, didn't you? It was astonishing what you did yesterday. How did you do it? Ah, see. We want to know how. Why? Why do you want to know how? We can do it ourselves. Yeah. So, Peter says, why look ye? Why are you looking at us? The old Puritan John Trapp said, we are ready to pay our rent to the wrong landlord. What an insight we get here to their character, Peter and John. There's no false modesty on their part at all. And we see this is, it's this characteristic. We turn to Acts chapter 10 and verse 25. We see Cornelius coming up to, to Peter. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted it up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And we can see in Acts chapter 14, and in verse 12, and Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, Man, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all things that are in them. Both times you notice it. We are men. We are men. Even beforehand in John chapter 3, John the Baptist is being questioned. In verse 27, he says, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. All these examples that we have given, you show how they quickly deflect any attempt to raise them above the status of mere men. It shows the humility that these men had. Yes, they had authority under God, authority under Christ because he had commissioned them in such a way, but they also with that authority had great humility. So all these quickly deflect any attempt to canonize or make super saints out of them, and instead they point to the true source Peter speaks here and he says, it was not by our power, not our ability or strength. We have no secret or sacred power. 
nor, and this is key, nor was it by our godliness. Do you not think when Peter and John went to pray that they had to deal with distractions just like everybody else? Do you think when Peter and John went to pray, they got into this holy trance and nothing ever came to their mind, but they were 100% focused on their prayers? No, they had to deal with the same things that we deal with, with our, our minds wandering and, and so many things creeping in while we're trying to do that, which is, is good. Do we think that they always had the purest of thoughts? Remember how two of the apostles saw others speaking about Jesus and you want us to call down lightning upon them? Remember when Paul had to confront Peter because when Peter was with the Jewish believers, he, he acted one way and he ate one, one way. And then... When he was with the Gentiles, he said, oh, barbecue, great. We get slaw and hush puppies with that. We struggle with this, I think. The work was not done by any might or merit that these men had. But even in some churches... People are held up and become, they get the word, a saint because they lived a more holy life and they did some sort of miracles while they were alive. So all of a sudden they become sainted, achieve sainthood. And a lot of times that has filtered down into our language where people say, well, you know, I'm no saint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. None of us are. It's too common when we have a request of God that we pray about a situation or need that our minds move towards a bargaining position. We want to throw a bit of merit into the mix. Or a person might uh, add something to their prayer. They might pray and fast. And there's nothing wrong with fasting. But it's not the key that opens the door to answered prayer. Remember, the Pharisee, when he prayed, why well, fast twice a week? I give a tenth of everything I get. So I'm worth hearing. The key to answered prayer is faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we'll seek a certain person who we deem is much holier than ourselves. And people use the illustration, you know, in the line going up to Jesus, I'll be back here, but they'll be right there in the front of the line. And there's nothing wrong with asking people to pray. Don't get me wrong on that either. But to think that someone's going to do much better than you in coming before God and being heard by Him, because... If you're a believer, you have no more Christ than anybody else. Would you really say to somebody, well, you know, my Christ is a little bit defective, but yours is really good. 
And we have to be careful about setting up celebrities in our heart. Paul dealt with it in Corinth and it's still rampant in our land. How hard is it for us not to want to take a little credit? Who was it that made this man walk? Well, Peter gives the answer. Verse 13, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers. This is beautiful. If you go through the Old Testament, every time it's brought up and it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know immediately he's speaking And this is the name that's given to the covenant God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had made the covenant with them, and the covenant from them would be that this seed of Christ, that Christ would come. And so it's the covenant God. And what Peter is doing now, he's tying the old and the new covenant together. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, some translations have son, but the better translation here for that word is servant. It's the proper word because Peter is tying together something from the Old Testament, something that they would recognize right away. In Isaiah 42 in verse 1, speaking of Christ, and how does he speak of Christ? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And then in chapter 52 and verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Again, using the Old Testament to show how it was fulfilled in Christ. So as we have said, Peter and John stand with God's stamp of approval and endorsement of authority. Yet at the same time, they make it clear that all they have, all that they give has come from Christ. Is as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. The sufficiency comes from God. Now, if we stop there, we might be treating this passage with some deal of fullness but nowhere near the fullness that it would need if we stop there we miss something of great value we have noted on any given number of times how all of Christ's healings had a spiritual aspect to them a spiritual meaning to them a spiritual illustration now as Christ is working through the apostles we can't help but think then that as these miracles continue, they're also continuing to show the same kind of illustration, the same kind of, of meaning, the same spiritual 
symbolism. If it is Christ working through them, then the things, same things must be in place. It's not just that, well, they made this man walk, and he's walking, and, and that's really good, and the people are really happy, got him a chance to preach the gospel. Okay, move on to the next. But what we're seeing here is in some ways, uh, dare I say, a form of an allegory. For where is this man when they find him? He's at the gate of the temple. He's outside. He's not inside. He can't come inside. He's outside the gate of the temple. He's not inside. He's outside. Why? Because he's unfit. Now, what does the temple represent? The temple is supposed to represent the presence of God. And people would go to the temple to do their, their sacrifices and to try to be made right with God, to be made whole. But this man, this man is made right, he's made whole, where? Outside the temple. By what? A greater than the temple. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 6, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. And what does Jesus bring with him? Well, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22, Hebrews 7 verse 22, and by so much more, Jesus has become a surety, a guarantee of a better covenant. A better covenant. And then in verse 6 of chapter 8, <clears throat> but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. In chapter 9 and verse 11, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he did what? He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So what do we see in this man born crippled? We see the covenant of works. It cannot save. It is, it is crippled in its ability to save. We see the Old Testament. It could only go so far, but no further. And what do we see in Peter and John? Well, we see in Peter and John the establishing of the new covenant. We see the, the beauty of the covenant of grace. The old has gone as far as it was determined for it to go. And Peter and John symbolically lift it, and they take it forward through the new covenant. Where was the crippled man? He was at the gate. Where has Jesus gone? Well, Hebrews 9, 12 says he's entered into the most holy place once for all. Now with no pun intended here, but the Old Testament was never meant to stand on its own. It never was. And it cannot stand 
without the New Testament. And neither can we. While you will find Christ all over the Old Testament. You will know that he's there because of what the New Testament tells us. And so we see symbolically this movement from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, the New Testament, sealed with the blood of Jesus, where we're not left on the outside anymore, but brought in through the blood of Christ to the Most Holy. That's fantastic imagery given to us. It's an amazing picture given to us. And if we just look at it surfacely and say, well, you know, there's a man healed. Great. They're apostles. They should have done that. But we're being shown something very important. And the place that it happened and where it happened, all that counts as something very, very important. It was a cry out from one of the minor prophets, arise and shine for the light has come. Well, there's one more way that we can look at this. It's uh, perhaps more on a personal level. But there's a wonderful hymn. Uh, Years ago, I guess I did sing it here, but people were probably covering their ears at the time. It's hymn number 466. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Thou didst reach forth my hand, thy hand in mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. Twas not I, twas not so much that I on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. And then this third one. I find, I walk, I love, but oh the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul. Always thou lovest me. I rise, I walk, I live by Christ. Let's stand together for prayer.